The reading is taken from the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, and then continuing into chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the beginning of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then we move on to chapter 21, beginning at the first verse. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch forth your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify him. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray that God would speak to us from the scriptures. Would you join me in praying? Father God, we thank you so much that you haven't left us empty-handed or guessing, but you've given us your word and your spirit to guide us, to give us a sense of direction and purpose and a knowledge of you. And we pray today you would speak to us afresh in our hearts. Take what I've prepared and please, Lord, use it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to speak today about what Peter learnt after he'd been locked down. I think one of the most amazing speeches that I have ever heard was given on the tarmac of an airport, strangely enough. It it was given on November the 18th, 1991, And it was given by Terry Waite after he'd been in captivity for 1,763 days. And for those of you who are doing the math, that's just about four and a half years. And most of the time that he'd been in captivity, uh, he was held in isolation. Uh, He was held below the ground. He was held chained to a radiator. And he didn't see another person or couldn't talk to another person except for his captors. Near the end of his captivity, that changed, but for most of the time, that was his situation. And then he was released marvelously, and as I say, on November the 18th, he made it to RAF Lynham Airport, and the BBC cameras, I remember, and probably all the news cameras were on him, and he came down the steps. And I was thinking to myself, well, what does a person say What kind of mental condition is he in when he's been subjected to all of that? And we didn't know the half of what he'd been subjected to. Well, as it was, he made the most amazing speech, showing that he was entirely cogent and he had plenty to say. But no one was under any illusion that after such a period of time in such condition, he couldn't just walk back into life as if nothing had happened. It it would never be life as normal in many ways because the world had changed so much in that four and a half years and he had changed so much. Now, of course, I'm not pretending for a second that what we together have been through in, in any way is the magnitude of what Terry Waite went through. And yet, because we've all been going through trauma at the same time, there is a a certain magnitude to what we've experienced and we would be equally foolish if we just thought life can pick up where we left off and nothing has changed because in truth we have changed every single one of us and of course the whole worldwide situation has changed and is still changing so i think that it's incredibly helpful and appropriate for for us to look at one character in the scripture who was himself 
locked down, locked in, and what he learnt after he was let out. And that character is Peter. And the points that I've got to make all, all spring from the passages that were read to us. And I hope that they will encourage us and help us as we go forward. And the first one is, is this. Peter could be locked in, but God could not be locked out. Peter could be locked in, but God could not be locked out. At the beginning of the reading that Janet read, John chapter 20 in verse 19, she read, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear, he'd barricaded himself with, along with the disciples indoors. And we have to use our imagination to work out what's going on in their heads. But I don't think it's difficult to work out. Obviously, they're full of fear. We're told that. They were fearful. But I think they weren't just fearful. I would suggest they were panic-stricken. And who knows what they felt, but I think maybe they felt the biggest collection of fools in the world. I think they probably pinched themselves and it occurred to them that what on earth were we thinking when Jesus said to us, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Well, that sounded great at the time, but now, just look at us. Hey, we're locked in for fear. No one even knows where we are, what we're doing. They couldn't care less. Go and tell all the world, hmm, don't think so, dream on baby kind of thing. But God could not be locked out. God could not be locked out. After Terry Waite had been around for some time, he was able to tell us something of what had gone on with him when he was in captivity. And he told a very moving story of receiving a postcard just from absolutely nowhere addressed to him, Terry Waite, Beirut. And somehow it made it to him. And there was a picture, I remember him saying, on the front of John Bunyan himself, a prisoner. And a very few words written by some complete stranger, but it said to him, it said enough. It said to him, you're not forgotten. It said to him, God's on your side. It said to him, keep going. The world is waiting and watching. And I don't know what you've been through throughout lockdown. I don't know how your life has had to change. I don't know the pressures you've been under. I don't know how you feel life has been, but I do know this, God knows. God has not been separate from you or from me. He's been with us. We might have been locked in, but God has not been locked out. He's seen everything. And here's the second thing that Peter gets to see, and it's slightly harder for us to assimilate. Restoration is a process, not an event. And as a matter of fact, it's a process that Peter doesn't make easier for himself. Now, this is going to be important for us in the days ahead because our freedoms, we're told, are coming. And freedom might be restored on a day, a certain date, but restoration is going to be a process, not an event. Now, I'm about to be quite harsh on Peter, so let me just say none of us should blame him for what he's been through. He's been thoroughly traumatized before he gets to this room and locks the door. 
I've absolutely no doubt he's been shaken up and disoriented. I've no doubt that sat in that locked room, he's not only haunted and afraid of what's going on outside the room that gives him fear, but as he reruns in his mind his recent behavior, I should think he's full of shame as well and regret. It's impossible for us to recall what he got up to without realizing his behavior has not been good. He couldn't be proud of himself, could he, of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when he drew out his sword, remember, and chopped off that chap's ear? And what did it look like, by the way, when Jesus restored it? I've always wondered that. He must have been haunted by that look in Jesus' face when he, Peter, denied Jesus for the third time. And Luke tells us with, with pinpoint accuracy, he says, the Lord turned and looked at him. So as Jesus, as Peter denied Jesus, that's what happened. Just, can't you imagine that was a haunting look? Whatever that look was, whether it was one of regret or love, whatever it was, it's buried in Peter's mind. And Peter had been in that room, as we read. Peter was in that locked room when Jesus came and stood amongst them. He'd witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And yet, and yet, he has to go on a learning curve because the first thing he does as leader of the church is to lead them in the wrong direction. He leads them into temptation, in fact. He leads them straight back to his old way of life. Despite having been told by Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That's, that's not at all what he did. He, we won't blame him, it's understandable, but he just tries to return to his pre-lockdown world. And he goes back to fishing. And he says, hey, who's coming with me? Come on, let, let's, let's go back to fishing. Now, I want to suggest, it's not a particularly deep point, but I think it's a true one, that the temptation for every single one of us as lockdown eases, as things change, will be, we'll want to search for the point we left off, that old world. The old order where we felt marginally in control, certainly more comfortable than we do now. And we might want to go back to where we felt we had security and we understood how things were done. That's what Peter was doing here. But it simply wasn't possible. He, it simply wasn't possible to re-engage with life in the way that he left it before he went into that room. Just about any newspaper or magazine we pick up now is asking us big questions. It's asking us, so what does the new world order look like? And it's asking that about everything. People who used to go to the office and now working from home, lots of articles. Is work from home here to stay? Is it going to be a kind of mixed economy? How's it going to be? People who haven't been going to work but just family life have had to stay cooped up. What's it going to be like to re-engage? Does social life pick up? How, how are you going to play it? And church life is no different at all. The old way of church life, by which I mean no different from other factors that have to change, the old way of church life, coming to church and worshipping together, well, COVID's driven the coach and horses through that. And so now people are sitting at home watching this well good for you 
and watching on screen has become the new normal, except it's not new anymore, and I hope it doesn't feel normal. But we're yet to see, what, how does this play out? What is the relationship deficit, as it were? What's the downside of all this newness? Well, you could understand, I could understand, if we just reached for the past. Let's notice this, though. Even when Peter reaches for the past, takes the disciples to the wrong place, and does exactly what Jesus didn't ask him to do, Jesus can find him. And does find him. That's what we read in John chapter 21. Of Jesus standing on the shoreline and shouting out. And the very first word he says, and the very first word he'll say to us is, friends. I love that. He didn't say, idiots, why are you fishing? I never asked you to do that. The very first word is friends. And tuck that away in your memory bank. Because if in all good conscience, what you're up to these days is miles away from what God ever asked you to do, or if you've lost contact with him, as it were, the very first thing he'd say is friends. But I, I want to just draw attention to what does go on. How does Jesus restore relationship with Peter? Well, we need to know, because Peter knew this, we need to remember what happened in Luke chapter 5. And um, I'm going to tell you, so you don't need to turn to it. But it's a story that Luke records for us of the very first time that Peter gets called by Jesus. And you'll recall that the, the fishermen were cleaning their nets on the side of a lake, and Jesus commandeers a boat and it's Peter's boat, and takes him on a day trip fishing. And they have a a remonstration together um, because Peter says, look, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. And you a carpenter attending me to fish? I don't think so. And Jesus says, yes, I am. Yeah, put down your nets. And they, you remember, you remember, they caught this humongous number of fish. Now, if they had had YouTube in those days and Twitter, it would have been hashtag miracle catch. And it would have had thousands of views all around the world of, of what looks so improbable, this huge catch of fish in the middle of the day. And now, focusing back on John 21, of course it triggers in us the link. Jesus says, friends, haven't you caught anything? Answer, no. Let down your nets for a catch. Here we go again. Huge catch. Is it surprising that Peter says, it is the Lord. It's the Lord. Jesus has triggered something in his memory bank that makes real that Jesus is risen, that makes real that Jesus is alive, that makes real that Jesus wants to be part of Peter's life all over again. So my question is is this, what does God have to re-trigger in your life and my life to give us confidence in this post-lockdown time that he is still around, still in business, and he's not suffering from long COVID? Because post-resurrection, he isn't suffering from anything. His power is not diminished. His compassion isn't either. His plans are not shrunk. Peter is playing catch-up, but he's still in the game. 
And here's the third thing that Peter comes to see post-lockdown. The making of him involves the breaking of him. Don't like this point, but it's true. The making of him involves the breaking of him. Most of us see in the Peter of the Gospels that he is the foot-in-mouth disciple, isn't he? There are so many examples of his macho approach. Act first, think second. And he proves that time after time. You, you, you know that. He blurts out nonsense on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's vastly overconfident in his own competence. Even if they desert you, I never will, he said. He stands in Jesus' way when Jesus announces that the way is heading towards the cross. He is the me-first disciple, isn't he? And yet, in his old age, he will write, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, so in due time he will exalt you. Where's he learnt that? How has he learnt that? I'll just repeat that verse. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, because in good time, his time, he will exalt you. Well, I think I can explain to you at least a bit of how he learnt that and when he learnt it by looking at the conversation, the dialogue that was read to us from John chapter 21. But it's not obvious in our English translation, unfortunately, so I might have to help a little bit. So the dialogue begins like this, with Jesus asking him a, a really difficult question and a very upsetting question too kind of ouch comes with this question Simon do you love me more than these now it's ouch partly because he says Simon do you remember that Simon is renamed by Jesus Peter and do you remember that there's a play on words there that the word Peter Cephas meant rock so when Jesus renamed Simon he was effectively saying to him you were called Sandy because you were all over the place and you couldn't build a sausage on you you were just Sandy but follow me and you will be rocky you will be totally a firm foundation you remember that that's what he held out as a promise for Simon for Simon will become Peter but now the dialogue begins Hey, Sandy, I've got a question for you. Oh. That, that must have stung. Even before you get to the question, it's like, I've seen what you're really like, and, and you're not that rock, are you? You're all over the shop. But this is the question. Do you love me more than these? Now, that's ambiguous. I'm not really sure whether that means, do you love me more than these boats? more than fishing for a business? Or do you love me more than these disciples that were with you on the fishing trip? But either way, it's a difficult call. And then they would appear, but appearances are deceptive, they would appear just to repeat the same thing three times. But actually they don't repeat exactly the same thing three times. Because there's a cross dialogue going on. The question Jesus asks is this, Simon, do you love me? And the word he uses 
is the word agape, which means unconditionally, no holds barred, expecting nothing back in return. You just love me because you love me. Do you agape me? Do you love me like that? And Simon Peter says, actually, I don't. He says, I phileo you. It's a different Greek word. I don't normally like pulling these Greek words out of the hat because it seems a bit of a trick, but it helps us to know this. He says, no, I, I don't love you unconditionally. I love you like a brother. Now, that shows that he's no longer braggadocious. That shows he's already learned his estimation of himself is far more realistic. So Jesus asks him again, second time, do you love me unconditionally? And he replies the same, no, I don't. I, I love you like a brother. And the third time, Jesus changes the question. That's why Peter gets upset. He says, do you love me? Do you even love me like a brother? Are you sure you're even good for that? And Simon Peter's upset at that, says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. You know that I do. We need, we need to reconnect with Jesus. And sometimes his way of doing that and giving us a right estimation of ourselves is to break us down, to make us more like him. That's our life journey, actually, to be made more like him. And there are three things that Peter needs to get back into the saddle. And they're the same three things that we need, both individually and as a church, to get back in the saddle. You know, lots of us have spent a lot of time on Zoom in the last year, and just from time to time, you get that annoying thing where you've lost your connection. And when you lose your connection, broadband difficulties, Wi-Fi, etc., it's game over, isn't it? And you spend all that time all over again reconnecting. And it's like that with our walk with the Lord. It was certainly like that for Peter with his walk with the Lord. Now, I'm just going to read a couple of verses that um, were not read from John chapter 20. After Jesus appeared into that locked room, Jesus said, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And here are the three things that Peter needed to be reconnected and we need to be reconnected, or if they're in place, just to enjoy. Number one, peace. We need God to give us our peace back. Until you have peace, whether you're locked in or let out, things aren't as they should be. And that conversation that I just unpacked, that went a long way to restoring the peace that Peter needed. So what's the conversation that you need to have with Jesus for you to get peace back? Remember, nothing that's gone on has been hidden from him. But have you shared it? Because you need to, I need to, if we're going to have peace restored. And peace, as you know, comes through a person, the person of Jesus. So just imagine Jesus standing on the shoreline and he talks to you, friends, and then what are you going to say to him? What kind of conversation do you need? If, if you know a better person to turn to, to be connected to for peace, then I'd love to know about him or her later. But I don't think there is anyone else 
that's half the measure of Jesus who can reach out and give us peace. And one day we'll give an account of our lives to him. And it's good to know today that he will give us peace that can't be taken away. Here's the second thing that Peter needed to be reminded of. His purpose, God's purpose for Peter. And God's purpose for the church. And again, as he stood in that locked room, not only did Jesus say peace, he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And we need to hold on to, or if necessary, reconnect with the commission that God's given us. We as a church, the family of St. Michael's, we need to pick up the commission Jesus has given us. Because the commission hasn't changed, even if the world has changed. You know, before lockdown, Peter might have felt to himself, possibly, that being an ambassador for Christ, being a witness for him, being a friend of his, was something that wouldn't be too costly. Was something that might be hugely enjoyable, fun even. But after emerging from hiding into the post-crucifixion resurrection world, the world had changed altogether and forever. The gloves are now off for him. The powers that first ranged against Jesus are now targeted on Jesus' followers with a vengeance. There will be victory, but there will be scars too. There will be blessing, but there will be buffeting. There will be resurrection, but only after a cross. And Peter emerges, doesn't he? So do the disciples, to live uncomfortably in contested space contested by the powers that be, that would be the Roman governors, but contested by the principalities and powers that be as well, as supernatural powers. It's not all fun for Peter and the disciples, but it's fulfilling. Why? Because you have the best news in the world. He's got news about God's love for people, about friendship with God, about a fulfilled life, about a new way of life. But it's going to be tough to share it. If you know a better purpose for your life than sharing God's love and hopes for the world, I'd love to know about that too. Because there is no greater purpose that any of us can link with than this. And we need to reconnect. And the third thing that Peter discovers and has to recover is that God gives power for all of this. And so he says in verse 22, also in that locked room, receive the Holy Spirit. They needed reminding. We need reminding. Tough though it is, we have the Holy Spirit's help. He's God's agent to help us. Now, all this this he learnt as he emerged from lockdown. It would be good and quite upbeat to end the sermon there, but I have one last point because it's real and it's told us in the scriptures. Learning is a process takes time and the L plates never come off and that's true for Peter that's why they're called disciples by the way because they were learners and John's gospel is so faithful that it doesn't leave us with Peter on a triumphant note it it leaves us with Peter looking again a complete idiot looking again like the foot-in-mouth disciple because no sooner has Jesus told him I'm recommissioning you connect with me I've got purpose for you I've got power for you I've got plans I've got peace he 
nearly wrecks it all by turning around and saying, well, what about him? What about John? Is he going to live forever? That's the rumor going around. If you want to trash your contentment with God, just turn around and start comparing yourself with someone else. If we at St. Michael's Church want to trash our contentment and our mission with God, just turn around and start comparing St. Michael's with any other church. That way, madness lies. God has a specific purpose for your life, for my life, and that's what's important, is following it, pursuing it, fulfilling it. God has a specific purpose for St. Michael's Church, Chester Square, and that's what we pursue with a vengeance and say to him, yes, Lord, that's what we're up for. And it's got nothing to do with what he's doing down the road or around the world. It's got everything to do with what the Lord God Almighty wants us to be up to. And it's as we pile in behind that that we too will see the satisfaction of seeing the kingdom come, yes? Yeah. That's God's mandate for us. That's what we exist for. Now, how comforting to know that Peter had to walk through all these things. How comforting to know that whatever's going on right now, God is close. God has seen what we've been up to. God knows. He cries out for restoration. He cries out for our willingness to come on board with him and to serve him. And we will say, yes, Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that lockdown's not a surprise to you and it's not outside your scope. And we pray for each other. We, we know, we can't hide, that it's been a costly series of months and continues to be and will be for so many. And I'm sure very few of us would have put up our hands to volunteer for this. But we ask you to step in we ask you, Lord, to lead us, to remind us that you're so close, as close as one prayer away. Thank you that nothing is hidden from you. Thank you that your power is not diminished and your plans haven't changed. Thank you that you can give peace back in an instant. And we pray that you would. We pray that what we've heard of today will become important for us in our daily life. And we would see your hand at work amongst us more and more. This is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.